Welcome back to the Compass Podcast. I'm Zach, your host for this episode and director of research and content at Compass. Crypto mining news lately is dominated by energy concerns relating to grid stability and especially the environment. But most of what we read is wrong, although it's often hard to clearly understand exactly why it's wrong. And that's what I want to talk about today with my guest, Mike Hamilton, Chief Technology Officer at the mining company Grid. Mike has a pretty incredible tech background, a deep understanding of energy markets, and he's a staunch advocate for the Bitcoin mining industry. I'm excited for you to hear what he has to say. So let's get started. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you do, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on your preferred listening platform. It really helps out the show. The Compass Podcast is presented commercial-free by Compass, the number one Bitcoin mining marketplace. If you want to get started mining Bitcoin, source hard-to-find ASICs, or find competitively priced hosting space, then check Compass out at compassmining.io. And now, on to the show. Mike, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm excited to have this chat with you. Um, really appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. And uh, thanks for having me. Before we before we get into sort of some like lower level questions about Bitcoin mining, energy markets, um, concerns about mining, all that stuff, I think you have a like pretty interesting background in just tech generally. Um, and I was wondering if you could give like our listeners a short um, summary of where you come from before Bitcoin mining, how you got into mining, and then where the company you're at now uh, sort of came from. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I grew up in in Texas, born here. So Texas boy all the way all the way through, uh, and then ended up uh, in Austin for school. Sort of focused on uh, honestly, I used to be a hardcore gamer, uh, and so uh, as I went into engineering school, I wanted to design uh, graphic uh, graphics cards, uh, graphics chips. Actually, had an offer from uh, uh, coming out of school. Had an offer to go work for 3DFX uh, before uh, uh, before the uh, uh, the, that, you know, early two thousands, uh, you know, explosion, um, ended up going to work for a company that I had uh, co-op for when I was in school. Uh, we did fiber optic network controller, uh, for, for cars, uh, ASICs, of course, um, ended up sort of doing network processor chips. So spent, you know, the first part of my career doing, uh, actual chip design, uh, hardware design, uh, and then ended up, uh, moving to a company, uh, um, sort of getting out of the queue more into the sort of the customer facing and the, and the product side, uh, in network and security test equipment. So that's sort of where I, you know, sort of got my exposure to the, you know, the network stack, uh, as well as security, uh, offensive, defensive security, um, and then ended up doing some security analytics as well as, uh, ended up, uh, at some point taking over, a, uh, an endpoint security company doing, uh, antivirus and sort of next generation, uh, detection response. And then wow. uh, my VP of sales uh, at that company, um, he had uh, he had actually gotten me into mining. Uh, must have been about 2016 or so. Uh, convinced me to go uh, buy a bunch of GPUs, and I was mining a bunch of Ethereum in uh, in my basement. Um, and uh, did that for a while, and then uh, he left, uh, raised some friends and family money to go uh, go find some cheap power and start and start mining on an industrial scale. Uh, and then about a year after that. Um, I was done with corporate world and it was, Hey, uh, you, you, you ready for me? And, and he was, and, uh, joined about two years ago and I've been doing this ever since. That's awesome. We don't really, we don't really mind Ethereum miners coming on this show, I guess. But, uh, since you're, since you're Bitcoin mining now, or I presume Bitcoin mining, I'm a, uh, I'm a, re, I'm a reformed, uh, I'm a recovering, uh, <laughs> Ethereum miner. Uh, and to be fair, the, the, the problem was that at the time I couldn't get my hands on S9. So I, to be fair, I did try. 
but uh, uh, GPUs are what I could get my hands on at the time. To gotcha. be fair, I immediately sold it all for Bitcoin. So if that if that makes it uh, if that makes <laughs> I'm it just any giving you I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh, Will Foxley, the other uh, my colleague here, who sometimes hosts this podcast, he's a big Ethereum guy, so we we balance each other out okay. But you're stuck with me today. Um, what can you give us? Like, what is uh, Grid's business model exactly? Where in the in the mining sector do you all fit? Sure, we're you know we're a, I guess what you would call a self mining company. We've got a portfolio of sites uh, around the uh, around the U.S. Um, and essentially, we go where the inexpensive uh, power is, which turns out to be generally where there's excess power and where there's uh, oftentimes underutilized uh, power infrastructure that uh, is sitting there uh, uh, collecting dust. It's not collecting dust because they have to maintain it, uh, and mm-hmm. there's costs associated with that. And having folks like us um, uh, absorb some of that power helps uh, share some of that uh, that capex cost across the across the system, so that uh, you know, sort of the local residents aren't forced to eat uh, you know eat that cost for uh, overbuilt infrastructure. Cool. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It like as an aside. I mean, we can talk about this a little bit more in depth later on, I guess, in our conversation. But it it just blows my mind how much like ex- like when you start learning about it. I mean, I've never really been exposed to energy markets before getting into mining. Um, just blows my mind how much like excess, idle, wasted, whatever descriptor you want to use, like power there is just sitting around North America, I guess the world generally, it's, it's like mind blowing, honestly. But I mean, maybe that's just like sort of old hat to you as you're used to sort of finding this sort of power. There's just a ton of it. And I didn't realize there was so much. Yeah, I think it's definitely an interesting market, especially if you look at um, you know how how strictly regulated uh, the energy markets are from the federal side, as as well as you know in the, in the state and local side as well. But uh, the amount of excess capacity that that these uh, providers uh, and utilities are required to maintain, uh, ultimately for you know polar vortex or the uh, the massive storm we had here in Texas uh, back in February, um, you know they have to essentially keep that infrastructure up to support those sort of black swan type. You know power events, and uh, ultimately what that results in uh, is a lot of uh, excess power, both from a transmission distribution as well as uh, as well as generation. I mean, my first question to you, as I have it written down, is why does Bitcoin mining get so much hate? And I guess I want to frame that a little bit uh, more specifically to the context of this excess capacity that's just all over the place across all sort of energy grids. Um, like, if there is so much of this excess energy. Um, like on and off grid, I guess, like idle excess energy in a ton of different forms. Like why does Bitcoin mining get so much hate? Like where is all this, especially like in the past six to 18 months, I guess, like where is all this heat coming from? Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's a great question. And I think it's probably hard to pinpoint, you know, exactly, you know, why and what people's motivations are behind, you know, things that they say. But, but there's certainly, I think, a couple of, of high level trends that sort of indicate uh, you know where some of it comes from. I think there's two two that I can sort of think of off sort of the top of my head that uh, I think contribute heavily. Uh, I think the first is you know like you said, even you know even being heavily involved in the mining you know industry, you know power markets are uh, unique. Um, they're different. You know uh, Texas is different from Louisiana. It's different from uh, New York. Uh, it's different from California. It's different from you know, the, you know, the UK. Um, now. You know, a lot of the same principles apply in the design and the you know distribution and the infrastructure. Uh, but how you know how electrons get to point A to point B uh, to actually power things is generally not terribly too different. Uh, but how uh, how folks get compensated along the way, both on the generation side, uh, on the distribution transmission, 
um, and, and, and how folks are actually charged uh, is in fact radically different. So I think the, when there are things that people don't know, um, and, and we're sort of living in a time where no one wants to admit that they don't know something uh, or that they've made a mistake <laughs> on how they think they understand something. So when you, when you sort of have that uh, lack of knowledge on certain things, uh, a, sort, uh, a certain set of fear creeps in um, sure. and uh, you know, it tends to sort of turn, turn people's minds towards, you know, how can we talk negatively about this thing that we don't really understand? And I think as a, you know, so as a corollary to that, uh, mining in general and, and what miners do um, for the Bitcoin network, I think is also uh, radically misunderstood, even again within folks uh, you know, that, are, that are in the industry as well. Um, so I think really it's a it's a lack of fundamental knowledge um, that I think fuels people's desire to. Uh, I mean that's why it's called FUD, right? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's not called sure. you know logic analysis and uh, deflection or I don't I don't know <laughs> whatever other yeah. acronym you want to come up with. Uh, but I think that's the two things people don't really understand mining uh, and what Bitcoin mining really is uh, and how it contributes uh, and how it. Uh, you know, makes a difference uh, to the de decentralized nature, uh, the inability to reverse transactions, things like that, uh, as well as the unknown uh, people just not having a, a complete understanding. And even people who are experts in one energy market don't necessarily, you know, uh, aren't necessarily going to understand all the dynamics of a different energy market. So I gotcha. think those are the two big, I think those are the two big things. So it's interesting, you like, th that all makes perfect sense. And I would sort of add, like, it's not necessarily a problem unique to Bitcoin mining. Like it's true for like Bitcoin in general, I guess it's not like on its face, an excessively easy thing to understand. I mean, Bitcoin hasn't been around that long, but like historically through Bitcoin's short lifetime, uh, we've sort of fixed these information barriers to some extent through uh, memes, I guess, like we'll meme about inflation or we'll meme about self-sovereignty or financial freedom or whatever it is. And some of those memes go viral. They stick around like the, the, number go up orange coin good like those are some of the more like juvenile sophomoric uh elementary memes but like you understand what i'm saying right it seems though like mining and grids and power markets in general are like i don't have a sort of an understanding of them by any means as you do but they seem like very difficult if we were to try to meme them sort of to eliminate these misunderstandings and fud and whatnot is that like do you agree with that or do you think we could do a better job maybe of of like i guess just memeing uh these facts to broader audiences I think that's a really good point. And I think that's sort of the, you know, I'm, I may be a little bit on the older side of most of the sort of Bitcoin generation, just slightly. Uh, but, but, but certainly a, a good meme is, is, a, is a, I mean, essentially a meme is, a, is essentially a diagram. You know, it's no different than how I, or a slightly older folks learned in school, with, you know, pictures and diagrams. Uh, and certainly I'm a yeah. super visual learner. Uh, and, and I think you're right that they, you know, the memes, you, you get a little laugh and it, it wedges itself in your, you know, in your subconscious a little bit better than, uh, you know, having a, you know, a spirited, you know, Twitter or clubhouse debate uh, on a certain topic. Uh, and I don't think you're wrong that it's, it's a, because they are sort of complicated topics um, that they're not quite so easy to, uh, to sort of understand. I, I remember in high school, you know, high school economics class, you know, generally having a basic understanding of supply and demand. Sure. And so when you're talking about like inflation and, you know the supply of dollars uh, and how that affects markets. Well, most people may not necessarily understand the, you know, the the the. Or in fact, just about everyone doesn't necessarily understand all the nuance and and how that affects markets from a from the smaller perspective. They generally have an understanding. So if you see a meme of you know the guy with the with the money printing machine, you know, uh, you know, go burr. Yeah, yeah. 
it's like, okay, I kind of understand uh, what that looks like. So it was certainly, you know, our industry could do a better job of, of finding ways to do that. You know, certainly if I yeah. had any good ideas, uh, I'd probably be a famous memer and not a <laughs> uh, semi-anonymous minor. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious, like before we move on to a couple other topics, like just thinking through easier ways to quantify this, if, and maybe this is like an impossible quantification to make, but if like from now over the next five years, Bitcoin mining like only grew through consuming excess power and there were no sort of like, uh, redirections, reallocations of power from existing, uh, substations or whatever, how, like, how much like what's the ratio i guess between like the excess power that's not used for bitcoin mining right now and excess power that miners do consume right now like how much growth potential is there if like we wanted to make the case that miners wouldn't even touch like uh, power that's being consumed or used right now we're only focusing on excess power how much like room is there to grow i guess in the world maybe maybe that's too big just like north america like what have you yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I think that's a great question, and I think the 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 short, maybe the simplest answer is I don't think there is very much, if any, you know, meaningful energy consumed by Bitcoin right now that isn't what I would call excess. There, there's there's no one that I can think of that is unable to turn on their air conditioner at a hundred degree Texas heat and it not come on because of a Bitcoin miner, uh, partially because. This is not new in the energy market in balancing grids and the, the generation and, and the load. And certainly, you know, utilities, you know, uh, obviously in Texas here, we have, you know, ERCOT and, and uh, you know, sort of a different market here than you know, what you have in the Midwest versus New York uh, and how that all works. But, you know, ultimately power contracts, you know, I've, I've, I've looked at power, uh, power contracts and price schedules for, I don't know, tens, dozens, maybe a hundred different, you know, utility companies, you know, certainly across the U.S., and the vast majority of them have power contracts in some form or some rate schedule that has um, a structure around, uh, you know, minimizing uh, the impact during higher load, you know, higher load uh, time, either times of day or times of year, yeah. uh, what that looks like. So, you know, the, to the point where the energy that Bitcoin is consuming is no longer excess, then it starts to price Bitcoin mining out of the... Uh, out of that energy market in the first place, um, you, you sort of saw it happen uh, in sort of the Pacific Northwest with a lot of the, you know, local utility districts, you know, upping the prices for Bitcoin miners. And what did they do? They packed up and moved to where there was, you know, what would be considered excess power. Uh, and you know, ultimately, in a lot of markets, you may not have the sort of level of transparency and knowing what is truly excess. Uh, but the price is a pretty good indicator. If you're getting, you know, two, three cent power. You're probably not taking power from a you know from a residential you know location paying ten twelve fourteen cents uh, you know kilowatt right. hour. In terms of the growth, uh, you know there's there's certainly lots of lots of room. You know there's lots of folks doing uh, at least a couple of folks doing really good things uh, and really interesting things on uh, sort of the flared gas methane reduction concepts instead of flaring it uh, in super low low uh, low efficiency flares. Uh, essentially, you convert that directly to electricity on site. Uh, and consume it right there, you know, at the well pad. Um, I think I've seen some numbers from some of the folks in that uh, industry. Uh, you could run the Big Twenty network several times over just on the known uh, amounts of flared methane uh, today. Not even the leakage and the seepage that isn't reported or captured uh, in the first place. Sure. So uh, that is to say, there's a ton of room for growth uh, in excess power. You've got lots of hydro facilities with water literally pouring over the dam. 
uh, or through the dam, bypassing turbines because there's nowhere to actually deliver that that power to. That's that's fascinating. Um, yeah. So I guess bottom line, a ton of room for growth, um, and we've sort of seen. Well, I guess something I've like spent a little bit of time thinking about recently, um, talking with different miners like yourself, and we actually had Steve Barber from Upstream on here a little bit ago, um, and he was sort of speaking to what you just mentioned, like the insane amount of growth potential just in like natural gas of various forms to power Bitcoin mining, um, like pretty much exclusively off grid. But something I've spent a, a, a little bit of time thinking about is like the what what sort of growth we can expect or growth multiple we can expect between now and the next halving for Bitcoin's hash rate. Um, historically, we've sort of seen the hash rate like at least double between halvings um, up till now. And it's interesting the, the sort of different answers I get from miners uh, with regard to their expectation for the growth multiple between like, I guess, last May and the halving a few years from now. Um, some of them sort of expect the same pattern to continue uh, just because of the sheer amount of energy out there and sort of the growth we've seen in industries. Um, like natural gas, where they're sort of biting the Bitcoin mining hook and, and sort of mining in larger and larger amounts now. Um, some miners sort of don't expect that because of tech limitations with ASIC manufacturing and whatnot. Um, I'm curious, not to put you too much on the spot, but do you like what sort of multiple or path rate, hash rate growth do you expect between now and the next having sort of expect the trend to continue, exceed like the upper bound historically or sort of taper off a little bit? Yeah, that's a good question. Um... And honestly, I'm probably in the camp of uh, I'm seeing more and more, you know, new faces in the mining space. There's uh, there's new utilities uh, out there trying to find uh, Bitcoin miners to come, you know, help them solve some of their uh, their excess power, you know, excess power issues. I mean, you know, sort of politics aside, there's there's no question that, you know, certain industries in the U.S. have you know, declined over the years, like, you know, whether or not that's paper mills, steel mills, you know, aluminum you know, uh, manufacturing. Uh, and it turns out there's a lot of infrastructure built for a lot of those types of, of industries uh, that are still sitting around. So I, I don't see uh, I don't see the power being a limitation uh, in the hash rate growth between uh, now and the next having between folks, like you said, Steve and, and the great American mining folks, you know, focus yeah. more on the on the sort of the off grid. Uh, flared space, as well as just these utilities trying to, like I said, find someone to help come take uh, take some of the load. Uh, ironically enough, uh, take some of the load off their, uh, uh, put some load onto their networks to uh, uh, you know to help cover some of their fixed costs and, and fixed assets they've got to maintain and, and keep uh, keep running. So I don't think power will be a bottleneck uh, in that expansion. You know, certainly I understand the uh, the recent concerns of. You know the supply chain uh, on the semiconductor side, and certainly that's a real issue today uh, that we're seeing. Uh, ultimately, you know where Bitcoin price uh, price action does go over the next several years, whether or not you're in the you know go to zero camp, which clearly I'm not, otherwise I wouldn't be doing this, uh, or in the you know you know hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, million dollar camp, uh, I'm clearly somewhere between a million and zero. Uh, uh, Me too. And, uh, yep. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm not in the business of of predicting that price action, but uh, that will certainly have an impact. Obviously, uh, if hash rate goes continues to rise and price stays static, at some point there is an equilibrium, and and that's one of the things I found so fascinating about this market in general is uh, in terms of modeling our business or looking at uh, you know helping helping friends uh, you know uh, investigate whether that they should get into it uh, and modeling that out. It's not just 
you know, it's not just, you know, like an equities trader, you're looking at, you know, price action where there's, there's Bitcoin price, there's, you know, difficulty adjustments, which ultimately affect your profitability. There's, you know, purely the, the, the hash rate, what your percentage is. Uh, there's just so many variables, you know, your power price that go yeah. into this. It just makes it a super interesting market. But on the, on the supply chain side, I mean, we've seen supply chain shocks in the semiconductor field before. Uh, I don't remember exactly when it was, early 2000s. Uh, you had some uh, uh, earthquakes uh, in Taiwan, where, of course, you know, TSMC and, and a lot of the semiconductor manufacturing happens. And I remember when I was in college trying to you know build my build my gaming machines and RAM was you know was ridiculously you know off the charts expensive, mm-hmm. uh, and ultimately supply supply chain shocks sort of you know sort of feel themselves and and, and fix themselves out. I think you will see new uh, new manufacturers, especially with the you know the the more recent trend of of trying to lure uh, sort of U.S. semiconductor uh, fabrication stateside. I think you will see you know, potentially new vendors, uh, both on the chip side, as well as uh, utilizing chips that are already out there to you know, build their own machines. Uh, I think ultimately that will sort of settle itself out. Uh, and keep in mind, we are you know, still fresh off a, uh, or, or fresh in the middle, depending on your perspective, uh, of a you know, global uh, you know, pandemic shutdowns, yeah. you know, once in a generational type of type of event and it's only natural for there to be some price you know or some supply chain shock but you know four years is a long time or i guess you know, three just under three i guess until the next having that's quite a long time for uh some of the supply chain stuff to uh to shake out that's true that's true i um i definitely was not uh in college during the 2000 uh <laughs> supply chain uh shocks there for chips but we have i mean well i guess on the one hand if like Ford and Samsung can't even get chips. Like, good luck to Bitcoin miners. But like, they're just so far down on the totem pole. But also, like, we have uh, Intel CEO or whoever saying like he expects this um, situation to last for another year or two at least. I guess while the supply chain sort of uh, remedy themselves and maybe new players enter the market. Although I guess there might be a longer lead time than just two years on that happening. But yeah, yeah. it'll sort itself out. I guess. But just enormous potential for growth once all of these things in the energy markets and ASIC markets and um, whatnot uh, sort of figure figure themselves out. I I guess like when I was thinking through this episode, I'm not huge on scripting things, but I was kind of imagining we'd end there. But I do want to talk about one more thing in the few minutes we have left um, based on a conversation we had over beers uh, yesterday, actually. And you brought up an interesting point while we were chatting that Bitcoin mining, unlike most other areas of the crypto industry, sort of has a, a difficult time giving back to the communities that these miners are set up shop in. Um, and it's not that they don't want to. It's not that they like take a ton from these communities. Like As we discussed, they're sort of um, exploiting excess unused power that no one really cares about or is using right now. So in that way, it can be beneficial. But in terms of job creation or community growth or what have you, they can be like very lean operations once you get past sort of the upfront capital cost and all of that stuff. They just sort of sit there and mine and exist. And you mentioned that you've sort of been thinking about or are thinking through ways that maybe miners can give back more to the communities that they set up in. Um, can you just really briefly like talk through th- some of your thought processes with regards to that and uh, miners giving back, I guess? Yeah. And that was a, that was a super fun fun topic and like i said I've, I've been thinking about that a lot and we we at grid collectively think about that a lot and you know try to do as much as we can uh you know sponsoring local things you know in the community you know, you know supporting local businesses as we as we purchase supplies 
and, and things of that nature. But like you said, it, a, a typical mine, you know, of course, depending on the size, it's not creating, you know, hundreds and hundreds of jobs. Uh, whereas, a, sure. you know, a, a steel mill that may have been, you know, consuming 10 megawatts to, you know, manufacture steel beams, uh, you know, between shift work and, and all the other things likely is, you know, hundreds of employees. And, and unfortunately, that's sort of not the model that, uh, uh, unfortunately for those communities, that's not what, you know, sort of Bitcoin miners bring to the table in this particular case. There's, there's uh, like we've talked about, there's other tangible uh, benefits that we do bring to the local communities. Again, we, we help keep power prices low uh, uh, because we help offset a lot of the CapEx and, and maintenance costs that these utilities are, uh, you know, having to pay to maintain their infrastructure. Um, but if I, if I think even broader uh, and sort of where a lot of my thinking uh, has been lately, uh, and sort of daydreaming about is uh, just thinking back to uh, Jack Mahler's and 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 Bitcoin Beach and uh, and El Salvador and you know literally um, you know unlocking uh, unlocking financial freedom for an entire country. Um, how how can Bitcoin mining? Um, how can we support things uh, uh, of that nature to to uh, be make social and societal changes as a part of the Bitcoin network that uh, are a little bit more difficult for us to do than, you know, with a, uh, with a super cool app that allows you to, you know, send money all over the world instantly for free, uh, effectively free. Um, and you know, I, I don't have answers on that yet. Um, like I said, it's something that I've been, uh, it's been heavy on my, uh, heavy on my heart, especially just seeing how emotional he was uh, in, in that announcement. And it just, it, it, it certainly, uh, affected me uh, in my thinking about uh, rather than just going and setting up as many sites as we can, uh, which certainly we want to do because it strengthens the Bitcoin network, reduces the at this point nearly impossible concept of double spend and fifty one percent attacks and, and those sorts of things. Uh, but how can we give better, uh, do a better job of giving back to society uh, as a whole, and as, as, as well as certainly the the local communities that we're uh, setting up shop in? That you know, uh, there's a, a one of our sites. Uh, there's a local diner that's become. Uh, I go there uh, when I'm there on site. I will eat there for breakfast every single morning, uh, and just the unbelievable conversations you have with folks uh, in in rural communities and and really everywhere. And and how can we make uh, a difference in, in in people's lives? And like I said, I wish I had answers right now, but uh, it's definitely something that that I have been thinking about and will continue to do so. And and grasping for ways to uh, I say grasping, uh, looking for ways to. Uh, uh, to really just make society uh, and make the world a better place. Yeah, I I can relate uh, on two fronts. One, not necessarily having any great answers, but I think it's um, a super important question to keep front of mind. And also I can relate to um, just sort of the poignance of Jack Mallory's announcement and his presentation and all of that. It's It's sort of always dangerous to put people up on pedestals, but I mean, just the work he's done um, and the things he's accomplished with not just him, but like, Dozens of people, uh, including him down there in El Salvador, um, is very, very uh, inspirational. And thinking through any potential ways that sort of the Bitcoin mining industry, um, given its sort of unique operational dynamics, can maybe mirror some of that in in some way is uh, super valuable. Mike, this conversation has been super fun for me, uh, super informative, I'm sure, for our listeners. Um, and I really appreciate your time, uh, your knowledge, and coming on the show to chat for a bit. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Anytime. Anytime. 
That's a wrap for us at the Compass Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe and consider leaving us a five-star review on your preferred listening platform. Thanks again, everyone. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on the Compass Podcast are their own and do not represent the opinions of Compass Mining, Inc. None of this content should be considered financial advice.